episode 28 of the five for fighting podcast my name is alec your host and this is the show where we focus on the players who dropped the gloves and the fans who enjoyed watching them do it and today's guest is very special um proud to call him a friend but it was great to get him on and legendary tough guy and he's one of the nine members of the uh 3000 penalty minute club and of course it's chris nyland and um what a time we had uh, on this podcast you know we were a little short for time chris had some stuff to do to, um on that day that we were recording um so we got about an hour in but it was just nothing but content and chris was awesome and tell some great stories and um on this episode i tried to ask about some guys that maybe people don't always acknowledge or know about too much and even myself um hell i make a mistake of the very first person i ask him about because i just don't know uh the enforcers too too much from this but once you start getting to mid 80s and on is when i kind of start knowing stuff a little bit more of course um as you know i was born in the 90s so any stuff prior to i don't know maybe 2000 I only know from video footage and just reading up on stuff or other fight fans telling me about it and uh you know of course there's two Bob Kelly's out there there's a uh, Battleship Kelly and Hound Dog Kelly and I said Battleship Kelly and uh, of course it was Hound Dog so even myself you know I pride myself on you know um enjoying the enforcers and tough guys but I myself have some learning to do as well um so no I asked guys about guys like you know Nick Fatiu and Ben Wilson especially Ben Wilson and uh, of course, uh, Steve, if you're out there listening, we got some Ben Wilson appreciation. That's the the, the, uh, the hashtag he always gets going during the Bob Probert Invitational that uh, Fourth Line Voice runs on Twitter. That's always about Ben Wilson Awareness Day or something like that, or <laughs> like Ben Wilson Appreciation. So, uh, no, we definitely got some of that going on here, and Chris has nothing but great things to say about Ben Wilson and what a tough guy he was. Um, also ask, or I also ask about guys like Larry Playfair and, um, like I said before, Nick Fatiu. Uh, guys like that so no it was good to finally hear some I guess appreciation and uh, praise for those guys that were prior to the uh, you know kind of the video footage I guess there's still footage out there those guys for sure but like Nick Fatio very limited and Chris had some an awesome story about that Um, and I don't think people realize how tough Larry Playfair Ben Wilson was but Chris definitely tells it all here so um, yeah it was awesome to get some insight and he tells a course the story about the uh the brawl in the hall out there in boston and uh you know it gets to a whole bunch of other stuff that um you know of course you'll hear uh shortly but i also wanted to thank chris for actually uh doing something pretty cool he actually let me on the uh, tsn 690 radio show up there in montreal he had me on there as a brief little segment to kind of promote the podcast and 
uh, talk about some tough guys and even got to it was fun I got to even give some uh, LNH love up there and of course if you're just now tuning into the show from the TSN interview or um, uh, if you're just kind of hearing about it I did an LNH special and if you're wondering what the LNH is it's a uh, league where they kind of put fighting first and hockey second so you're gonna listen to the uh, listen to the intro and it's gonna be like what the hell is going on? There's a bunch of horns and stuff going on. Look up a couple LNH videos and you'll understand it. Uh, but no, I got a two part special on that. So uh, if you want to go back after this episode, definitely go back and check it out. And I got a whole bunch of other episodes out. Um, you know, it's whether it be minor league guys or NHL guys. I've had Rob Ray, Andre Waugh for the NHL, and then. Uh, Frank Bylois, Kevin Kaminsky, Peter Zerba, Mark McFarland, John Craighead, the list goes on. Uh, so definitely go check those out if you're just tuning into the show and you want to get some good tough guy uh, tough guy stories. They're definitely out there. I apologize uh, prior to if you're if you're going back and listen to my early, early episodes, I probably sound like shit, so I apologize. Um, you might hear a couple swear words a lot more than uh, the normal person probably should, but that was just me being a little bit nervous back in the uh, early days of the podcast here. So I do apologize, but um, no, yeah, so it was a lot of fun going on TSN. It's something I never thought I would get to do, and uh, you know, who would have thought you know my dumbass with a microphone talking about tough guys would end up on TSN 690 radio somehow. <laughs> so uh, Chris, if you're listening, thanks, thanks for that. It was awesome. I had a had a blast doing it, and like I said, it's something I never thought I'd do, or even going to see you, Chris. Um, and I'll, that's, I'll get to that. I'll do that. I think I'll do a solo episode because I have had people, a couple people ask me about it, like, oh, you got to go hang out with Nylon. I don't think I've actually ever told the story on this podcast. I think I told it on Williams uh, on The Biscuit. So uh, I think it's out there, but I don't think I've ever told it. So one of these days I'll do a solo episode, and I'll talk about my visit up to Montreal with Chris Nylon. It was a uh, awesome time, truly unforgettable experience, and I'm forever grateful to Chris uh, and Jamie, and I guess the dogs, Ad- Adele and Bodie as well, <laughs> uh, forever grateful for them. So, um, but no, it's been cool. And, uh, you know, last episode we had me fourth line voice and Chris on, and it's kind of funny. <laughs> it's actually got a lot of good reception and it's just three drunken idiots. Well, <laughs> and then you got Chris who probably drank enough for the both of us. Well, he said he drank on an empty stomach and the wild Turkey and the bitch slapping him across the face. <laughs> so, um, no, the reception was actually really good for that. People seem to enjoy it. And, uh, is, you know, was there any really top, we covered some topics actually take that back. We covered all the topics. Now we might've took in, you know, 14 detours getting there, but, uh, <laughs> we did cover all the topics. If I recall, and even hear some educational nature pieces from Chris as Chris is, you know, uh, doing biology and uh, animal studies for uh, his schooling and is much smarter than both Darren and I combined, probably. <laughs> even it was funny, even when he's, uh, you know, you could tell about an hour and a half in, he's uh, he's feeling pretty good. And, you know, he might be slurring a couple words, but then when it comes to a big science word, he pronounces it on cue like it would, like, you know, it's just a second language to him. <laughs> so, uh, no, I had a great time recording with those two. And uh, speaking of Fourth Line Voice, he's back. You can go check out his podcast. Um, here, a quick plug in for you there, Darren. Um, but no, he got his show up and running. And I think I mentioned in the previous episode with the Hockey Podcasting Network. So, uh, you know, congrats to him when the show's back up and running. And I know he's releasing, actually, uh, if you'd followed him before, he had all of his player interviews and everything like that, and unfortunately those got wiped out, but he still has the audio files, and he's so every, I think Sunday it is, um, they come back out and they do like From the Vault, I think is what they're calling it, and his player interviews get released, so he's got the Brad Wingfield one up and John Morasti, so to go check those out, and of course Darren, the original Enforcer podcast, um, he's back and it's great because uh, he, he's helped me a lot tremendously 
uh, for me on the podcast and kind of when I started up and still helps me out all to this day. We, you know, uh, whether it's just private messaging or, you know, he has all these pictures that a lot of people don't have. He's got, you know, those crazy amount of pictures on his, um, computer. So if I need a couple of like a minor league guy, he might have some, uh, very rarely is there any times where he's like, fuck, I don't got any. So, um, no, go check that out. But yeah, it was a good time recording with them. And, um, it was cool to see fourth line voice. Uh, I think I took a screenshot of it and I think I might've sent it to Darren and posted on Facebook. Um, and you know, I know ratings aren't really that big of a deal for, uh, for me or anything like that. I'm not trying to beat out spitting chicklets or John Scott's podcast or, uh, whatever player podcast or like yeah, sports net, whatever it is, um, that's out there. But at one point I think the podcast was up to, um, Oh, like 18 in the ranks. I forget if it was Canada or America, but, um, and then at one point it was me and fourth line voice. I think fourth line voice is right ahead of me by one spot. Uh, it was like the fifties or whatever, but no, just the fact that it's even in the top 100, was a cool feeling. Um, you know, you don't, you always kind of wonder how many people are listening or who really even gives a shit. And then there's actually more reviews on that chartable website that you don't see on Apple podcast. And as I noticed, I had a couple, couple listeners that were, one was out in, I think the UK out in Scotland, if I remember right. And then the other one was out in Australia uh, left some reviews and, you know, keep up the great work. So, uh, thank you for that guys. I, I really do appreciate it. And it's funny, you know, I run this little podcast through my little man cave guest bedroom in the apartment. <laughs> so you always kind of wonder in the back of your head, who's listening, how many people are listening. Um, cause I have an app that gives me numbers, but I don't think it's really that, uh, true, um, to what it is. I think it's actually might be a little bit less than, what it is at that point, honestly, if it was, if I got up to actually 18 at one point on the rankings there. Um, so no, it was actually really cool to see that. And, uh, like I said, for those that leave a review and rate the show, I really do appreciate it. Uh, honestly, it's, uh, you know, it's again, it's just, I do this for a hobby and all of us do all this little podcast, uh, you know, fourth line voice, uh, William over at the biscuit, Joe Lazito. Uh, bucket drop and it's cool because you know you, uh, when I was going through the ratings uh, I just wanted to bullshit and kind of scroll through and see where everybody's at and it's cool to see the Enforcer podcast up there a little bit whether it was me Joe William or Darren just the fact that that's getting out there and people are actually tuning into it is uh is awesome because it's the it's the role that you don't see in hockey anymore uh, they're looked at as kind of the outcast the dark side of hockey uh, goons and idiots or whatever um, but to see these guys getting recognition and actually people tuning in and uh, there's certain spots on the charts and everything like that, it's it's absolutely awesome. And um, no, it means a lot of no to me, and I know it means a lot to everybody else too. And uh, you know, to those guys that are on there uh, on the list with us or with me, I should say, um, you know, big thanks to them, William, Darren, and uh, Joe. They've all they've all kind of supported the show from day one, and a lot of people on Twitter. Uh, that we kind of have our own little hockey fight circle and have supported the show. So, uh, no, it's just cool. And, you know, I don't, I, again, I'm not doing this for ratings, and none of us do. We're all doing this as a hobby and for some fun. But just that kind of reassurance that people actually give a shit, <laughs> I guess, is uh, it's, it's cool. It, it really is. And, uh, again, I can't thank those who, who listen to not only my show, but all the Enforcer shows out there. Um, you know, we we do appreciate it, I promise you. Um, 
So, no, but, you know, if, if you're just tuning into the show and you're kind of liking what you're hearing, uh, do me a favor. Fuck it. We'll keep the rankings going. Pump all of our tires here while you're at it there. Um, you know, leave a leave a review, five stars, four stars, whatever you think. I've gotten one star. I've gotten five stars before. So whatever you feel is appropriate. Um, and then, you know, if you want to leave a, a review, then by all means, go ahead. But it really helps our shows out. And, you know, like I say it every podcast, but the little fish in the big pond, and it really is true. I mean, how many out of you know the thousands of hockey podcasts out there, and you guys choose to listen to my show or Darren's show or Joe's show? Um, it's 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 cool. So um, you know, kind of keep it going, and you know, help us get noticed a little bit more. You just rate and review the shows, and um, it, like I said, it, it just helps. So, um, anyways, I, I will uh, we'll start cutting it off here. Um, you know, I know you came here for Chris Nyland, not myself. Um, so, you know, if you want to follow the podcast accounts everywhere, you can go on Facebook and just search Five for Fighting Podcast. It'll be a page. Give it a like, follow it. Uh, everything that comes out is all updated there. I'm very active on Twitter. Twitter is probably where I'm at most of the time. So if you want to go ahead and check out the Twitter, it is the number five and then four fighting pod out there on Twitter and you'll see it. It's the same. All the pictures are the, or the, what would it be the profile pictures, I guess. Um, it's all the same cover art, uh, as the podcast on Apple and Spotify, whatever the case may be. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And so, yeah, on Twitter there, it's at, like I said, it's the, uh, number five and then four fighting pod. And then over on Instagram, if you want to follow the account, it is just spelled out regularly five for fighting pod. Uh, you can find it there. And then while you're on Facebook, if you're looking to find some good hockey fights and some pictures or stories or a lot of lists, lists have gotten really popular lately. Well, Darren just did a list. Um, he just did one with Steve. Uh, and he also went through the, what was it, the Bruins? Yeah, it was the Bruins. Um, he, somebody somebody made a list and they put, <laughs> not shitting on him, but he put Mike Milbury in the top 10 all-time uh, toughest Bruins category and <laughs> Darren kind of kind of carves the list a bit there, and <laughs> rightfully so. I don't blame him at all. Um, but no, it's been really popular in this group, and the, what the group is, you might be asking, is enforcer appreciation. Um, kind of, I always feel like I say that word funny because I got the headphones on, so I can't hear myself. I, appreciation. There we go. Like I said, like appreciation. Um, <laughs> anyways, um, no, so you can go there and check out uh, what people have there a lot of it, like I said, a lot lately has been a lot of people posting their top 10 for, I don't know, top 10 tough guys of Chicago or top 10, their favorite tough guys of all time. And you could post anything enforcer related there. That's what the group's for, uh, like this podcast. And, uh, it's out there to appreciate the enforcer shocker enforcer appreciation. That's what it's about. Um, so appreciate the tough guys, and there's a lot of former tough guys in that group too. You got Cam Jansen, Mike Segroy, John Craighead. Um, the list goes on. I mean, uh, Peter Zerba's in there. Todd Screwy, St. Louis in there. Uh, Screwy, by the way, we were gonna make that uh, podcast happen with you and Max Mindorf. We got something in the uh, we got a little iron in the fire there. So hopefully all the stars can align for us because lining up three schedules can be a little bit hard, but I think we're gonna be able to get it done. Um, so that's coming in the future. But yeah, there's a lot of former players in there. And, uh, you know, just go there, give it a like, or what is it was a join request and you'll be accepted right away. Simple as that. And, um, yeah, it's just, you know, you scroll through a daily refresh. People are always posting stuff in there. We moderate it, uh, to try to keep everything kind of on topic. And, uh, <laughs> you know, speaking of that, you know, you get kind of, sorry, I'm fucking rambling here. Um, 
typically I don't like to do this over 10 minutes, but yeah, I haven't, I didn't do it. I, I skipped the intro on you guys last episode. So I guess, uh, this will make up for it here. Um, you'd be surprised how many people actually take the group way too serious and people start motherfucking each other. It happens in all Facebook groups, but most of the time when that happens, um, we end up deleting them and the comments will get reported because there's just no time for stupidity. It's all just literally the group is supposed to be appreciating, uh, you know, the enforcers and tough guys and hockey fighters of all leagues and all, you know, through all the decades and everything like that. And people just get so into it and just start motherfucking each other. I'm just, I'm always baffled by that. Um, like you're literally arguing over a grown man that has never affected your life in any way possible. So, uh, yeah, you see it, you see some crazy stuff and you get some crazy DMs from people, you know, when running these groups. But, um, as I'm telling you to go join it, I'm telling you all the nut jobs we have in there. But, uh, um, anyways, yeah, just go send a join request and get in there. Um, and simple as that, you'll be able to see a bunch of photos and videos and, uh, discuss anything. It's kind of like an old, I, the way I, I kind of wanted to set it up and what it's kind of turned into is like an old fight form where people can post anything uh, fight related, basically. So go give that a look. And, uh, you know, while you're at it, if you want to check out other hockey fights on YouTube, uh, there's two pages I recommend. And of course, he runs the podcast I've mentioned many times and had him on last time is that fourth line voice. Uh, just look him up on YouTube. He does a lot of great stuff. He actually just posted some Kerry Toporowski stuff, which I was excited for because there's not enough Toporowski stuff out there. And if you've listened to the podcast for a while, you know I'm a huge Toporowski fan. So it was cool. And he actually has this uh, the coveted, the holy grail, the Link Gates versus Tony Twist IHL fight, the rematch that nobody thought actually happened because it was only read about. But he has it up there now. So definitely go check that out. And another one I recommend is when Probert was king, and that's run by Steve, and actually Fourth Line Voice just had Steve on, and they go over this top 25 NHL tough guys of all time, and it's done by Steve, and where you can find this, and you might want to read up on it, um, it is at winprobertwasking.com, and it is probably the most in-depth top 25 list uh, you will ever find in your life. Uh, you know, Steve does a great job writing up on all these tough guys, and why they were at that place that they are, what fights brought them up, what fights brought them down, and shows videos, articles, everything like that. And Steve does a great job. He puts in so much work on that site. So definitely go check that out. And it's winprobertwasking.com. Um, it's kind of cool to see all the, you know, we got the Enforcer podcast out there a little bit. And then you, you got these pages because, of course, uh, you know, hockeyfights.com, they did away with the form. So, um, it's, it's embers at this point, but there's still a little bit burning out there. Uh, there's still people out there who love the tough guys and enforcers. So that's what, like we, that's what we do it for, um, you know, to keep their, keep it alive a little bit and, um, you know, keep the fire going just a little bit. So, um, anyways, rambled on long enough and giving you my whole spiel and where to go and everything like that. So, um, anyways, without further ado, we will pass it over to Chris Knuckles Nylon. Hope you guys enjoy. Thanks for listening, everybody. This should be good. This should be very good. All right, and today's guest on the Five for Fighting podcast, we have a man who was one of nine members to rack up over 3,000 penalty minutes. He was an 86 Stanley Cup championship winner. He has the most career penalty minutes for the Montreal Canadiens and even had a pane of glass in the Boston Garden named after him. And that is one Mr. Chris Nyland. Chris, how are you doing today? Good, Alex. What's happening, buddy? Long time no see, long time no talk. Exactly. Yeah, I got to make my way back up to uh, Montreal. I'm doing good, Chris. Thanks for asking. Good stuff. 
Absolutely. Well, we'll dive right into it here, man. I know you got some stuff to do today, so we'll just uh, we'll dive right in. So you were drafted in the 19th round, <laughs> 231st overall. What was that like for you, man? I was excited as hell. You know, it's not like kids today, and I wasn't one of those kids either that uh, was going to go to the draft. Actually, back in the day, um, I was drafted in 78. I don't believe anybody went to the draft. I don't think they did it then. Like, it surely wasn't televised. I know that. Uh, and if anybody went to the draft, it was the top uh, 24 players, you know, in the first round. But uh, I sure as hell, that sure as hell left me out. There's no question. But I was excited to tell the big drafter. Like, I, I, um, I, I really, um, you know, I was a big Bruins fan. I Montreal draft fan. I'm like, oh, I was kind of bummed out, but I was excited to tell because it was Montreal. And uh, I always wanted to be a Boston Bruin. I wanted to play for the Bruins. And uh, then I just realized, listen, I'm just happy to be drafted. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. And I didn't hear from anybody the day of the draft. All I got was a letter in the mail about a week later saying, you've been drafted. We're inviting you to the training camp. That's it. <laughs> so no uh, no big parade or anything. Not for, uh, coming down, photo op, interviews, <laughs> nothing like that. <laughs> right, and I love the way your father described it. The <laughs> talking to you about it, saying uh, the only way you'd ever get drafted is if they have another war going on. <laughs> exactly. And my uncle Ed said, "If you want a draft, he said, go open the window. You'll get a draft. Come right through the the, the window." And I'm like, oh, "Okay, you smart asses, you know." <laughs> um, and, you know, they were teasing, and again, I just, uh, you know, I got drafted honestly as a favor. My um, my uh, hockey coach growing up, one of them, uh, was Judge Paul King. Um, his brother was the governor of the state of Massachusetts, Ed King. He played for the Chicago Bears at one time. But the judge had arthritis, and he was kind of hunched over. And he was an awesome guy, really. Uh, you know, he'd sit all day on the bench in one of the, the toughest districts in Boston as far as um, court cases, murders, robberies, uh, drugs, like, like a really bad uh, court uh, he ran, and he'd be in there all day, and then come down, come down, drive like south of Boston, like uh, half hour, forty minutes, and he'd come out on the ice and practice, uh, run the practice for our team. And he was just an uh, uh, incredible human being, a big impact on my life. Of course, my parents were always there, and they drive me everywhere, hockey and stuff. But the judge uh, was very good friends with Doug Harvey and Dickie Moore. And um, he helped Dickie and Doug. Uh, uh, he gave them advice on their contracts back then because guys really didn't have agents, you know. And he helped them out. They met uh, after a game one night in Boston, uh, Dickie Moore and, and the judge in a bar across from the old Boston Garden. And, uh, you know, uh, he, Judge, approached Dickie and talked to him. And they hit it off. They were lifelong friends. And the judge asked, the judge helped me get into Northeastern. He was good friends with Fernie Flan, and I uh, got a scholarship there, which was a great opportunity. And then um, my second year, I was 20 years old in 78. It was my draft year, and, um, you know, the judge went to Dickie, and Doug Hobby was scouting at the time, and he said, listen, just draft him. Get the Canadians just to draft him. And he said, um, Chris, Chris will do the rest. You draft him, he'll do the rest. And, I think Dickie kind of, you know, 
he was fine with it. Like he said, yeah, we'll do that for you, Paul. We'll draft this kid. And, you know, um, the judge saying that just, it blew me away afterwards when I found out that's what he told Dickie Moore, that uh, Chris will do the rest. The judge had a confidence in me, um, a belief in me that um, like no other person on earth did. I mean, it just, it was incredible how much he took interest in me. And I, you know, I got in some trouble as a kid growing up and, the judge was just always there for me, and it was an awesome guy. And really, he's the reason I got drafted. And, um, that, you know, I always pay homage and, and, and respect and, uh, to Dickie Moore and, and Doug Hodge for, you know, doing their friend a favor. And that's, I was a favor. <laughs> well, I mean, it paid off for you there. Uh, you, like you said, you you might have went pretty late, but you ended up making a big splash. And hell, even in the next year when you uh, you went up for the AHL with uh, Nova Scotia, you managed to put up 304 yeah. penalty minutes and 25 points. So you were doing something right. Yeah, well, that was, <clears throat> I won't say it was easy, but it was easy. And I say that, not the fighting pot, not the, you know, the hockey pot. It, it was difficult. But what was easy was the fact that when I got there, um, you know, come on, I had nothing to lose. I was on a five-game uh, tryout for $200 a game. I didn't have a contract. And the first five game, first four game, three games of the season were at home. So I didn't play. And our first game was in Maine, which is Philadelphia's farm team. And, uh, you know, the farm team – uh, of Philly was as tough as the team up in Philadelphia <laughs> right. the Broadway Philly. And, you know, uh, I, I remember um, I dressed for that game, and I just went out. I, listen, I grew up watching the Bruins. I loved the way they played. Uh, I was a big Bobby Orr fan. I loved Bobby Orr. And, and, and like, I, I loved the toughness and the attitude of the team. I grew up in a neighborhood that, you know, produced guys that just basically didn't, take shit from anybody. It was kind of that um, streetwise, pretty tough attitude you had to have to kind of navigate your way through the streets of the city to be able to be one of those guys that doesn't get stepped on. It. And that certainly helped me. But when I uh, I played hockey, I certainly my model for hockey was the Bruins and the way they played. I loved it. I loved the, the physicality. I loved the that they didn't take shit from anybody and I was you know the same way on the ice and I ended up going out um, in my first shift and I hit Glenn uh, Cochran uh, and I hit him pretty hard behind the net and turned around and slashed him well I turned around and dropped my glove and he did too and away we went well I ended up hitting him with a, 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 a right cross and I, I caught him on uh, the right side of his cheek and I ripped him ripped him open under the eye and the blood just come pouring out. Anyway, he went nuts, you know, crazy. We fought, it ended. And then he tried to come after me and I kept going at him. And then we ended up uh, both uh, getting kicked out of the game. Anyway, um, the next day, uh, the coach and general manager, Bert Templeton of the uh called me in my um, hotel room. He said, hey, uh, Dina, you call me Dina because of Beantown, dummy. <laughs> like, you get a better nickname than that. But he called me Dina. He said, hey, Beena. And then, hey, what's up, coach? He said, listen, uh, you have an agent? I said, no. 
agent and said, well, you better get one. He said, Montreal wants to sign your contract. And that was it. Um, I ended up getting uh, uh, an attorney from Boston who was a friend uh, of the family. And um, they ended up um, uh, getting in touch with me. And and uh, he talked to the team, and they ended up signing me to a, a contract, my first contract. So when I say it was easy, <laughs> it was easy as that. I had that one fight, and I got signed to a, a contract, two-way deal. Um, I was making uh, $17,500 in the American League and 60000 if I got called up. Now, I was happy as a clam with that, but, uh, you know, uh, what came after the Cochran fight was a lot more fights because here I was, a college kid, everybody – uh, around the league, found out what happened that night in Maine, and from that point on, every tough guy in the league, uh, like, is thinking, "Who's this college kid? We'll show him." Because all these, you know, Canadians, you know, again, they thought they cornered the market again. The They're the best, and you know, listen, they have a great, two rich history of the game here, the national game, no question. Uh, a lot of great players, but. You know, I was I was coming in at a time when, you know, the Americans, they just won the gold medal. Well, they were about to win it that January. And, you know, we were starting to uh, come along as far as hockey and we were going to get some opportunities. But here I was, this college kid that probably, you know, I think at the time, Glenn Cox was probably the toughest guy in the league. I ended up uh, giving it to him, and next thing I have a contract. So everybody was uh, challenging me, you know. But I was playing my game. I was playing physical. I was getting in the corners, going in that high, doing all those things. And when you play that way, uh, sooner or later, uh, someone's going to challenge you. Someone's going to step up and say, hey, calm down, son. And I was like, fuck you, (laughs) calm down. (laughs) That I won't do. So, you know, uh, it just took off from there. And I I was basically fighting almost every night. a little bit crazy when you think about it, but um, hell, and I I was putting the points on the board too. You know, I was playing with Rick Maha, a small centerman who was extremely talented. I went on a great NHL career, but um, they put me with him. And you know, next thing I I got 15 goals, I got 10 assists. They're going, hey, this kid can play hockey too. So uh, it certainly was um, uh, a great time in my life and a great opportunity for me to um, spread my wings, and that I did. Absolutely, man. Uh, yeah, no, no kidding. You did make a splash, and of course, like you, like you said, it'll get you noticed, fighting Glenn Cochran. Um, so, well, you, you know, you get called up, and you ended up. Uh, you know, I'm not sure how accurate the stats are because going back to, uh, you know, getting back a little bit that early in the '80s, um, like early '80s, you know, mid '80s. It's some of the stats are a little off, but uh, it looks to me like your first fight was actually with Bob Battleship Kelly in the NHL. Your first NHL fight, I yeah, guess. Was. What was it like fighting yeah, uh, fighting Battleship? Uh, it actually wasn't the battleship. It was uh, Hound Dog. Oh, it's Hound Dog. Okay, the other one. <laughs> yeah, it was Hound Dog. And uh, no, it was okay. It was my first fight. Nothing crazy. Uh, I did good. I ended up putting them down. And you know, uh, for me, you know, I had some lessons to learn still. And I, I, you know, my first game, yeah. Well, my second game. My first game was in Atlanta. You know, I played maybe a shift a period, and <clears throat> I was nervous as hell. I just kind of forgot everything I did down there just went out the window. I'm like, what the hell? 
I was so disappointed after my first game. And I just felt <clears throat> out of place. Was I ready? Uh, I, I lost that edge. I lost that confidence. Like, what happened to me? I, I, I kind of let it overwhelm me the first game. And I remember going uh, out that night after the game, and <clears throat> Rob Lang had talked to me. He said, ah, you're all right. Don't worry. It'll come along. Just keep working. You'll get there, blah, blah, blah. So I was disappointed. We flew to Philadelphia the next day. Uh, and we're playing there the next night. And I said to myself, man, there's just no way I can go out and, you know, kind of skate around with my head up my ass and and not have an input on this impact on this game. And, and I, I, you know, I went out and started, you know, not so much worry about the puck coming to me and doing something with it, but going after it and getting it. And that I did. I started running around. I started hitting. Flies got really physical with us. And I remember the coach on the bench, Claude Rell, who was one of my favorite people of all time in hockey. And he was on the bench, and I was sitting there. And they started running around a little bit. And he said, uh, just uh, not directly to me, but, but he was behind me. He said, Yankee boy, don't be afraid of these men. God, men just like us. And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I looked out there, and there's fucking like Bob Daly, 6'5", Moose Dupont, all these <laughs> monsters on the ice on there. Oh, yeah, they're men just like us. But really? When you think of it? Yeah, they were. They were bigger men uh, than us. But uh, I said, you know, i got to make some shit happen. He wasn't telling me to go fight. He's just saying, don't be intimidated. Because I was the first game. Atlanta had a big team back then, uh, the Flames. And, you know, I was a little bit awestruck. But it took me a game. And, God, I get in the next, that game in Philly, and I went out and started running around. And Kelly challenged me, and I give it to him. And Donnie went, and I I got the assist on uh, the uh, game-winning goal by P.M. Mundu. And I, uh, all of a sudden, my confidence went the other way. I said, man, I can do this now. I can do it. But I still had a lot to learn, believe me. And I did. Oh, yeah, man, for sure. Uh, confidence is a big part of fighting, and a lot of guys uh, who are in your role will, will say the same thing, because confidence is a big part of fighting on the ice. Um, so it's always good to kind of, once you kind of build that and establish yourself a little bit, you start feeling more comfortable, and, you know, like you said, you, you can do this, you can do this. So, um, no, and you definitely did. And, of course, that year also you fought, uh, here you are, you grew up a Boston fan, and now you're fighting the Bruins. You fought Stan Jonathan and Terry O'Reilly. What was it like fighting them? That was um. That was uh, a learning process. And, again, uh, I, I love both guys, you know, growing up. Uh, I, I love the way they played. I love their attitude on the ice. And, you know, I remember I ran uh, Bobby Miller, Boston kid, you know. He was, you know, certainly uh, a, a, a good player. But, you know, he um, he was playing and he was surrounded by tough guys. So that gives often uh, – guys who play with a lot of tough guys who probably aren't the toughest guys to begin with, their balls uh, seem to grow. And he started kind of running around on the ice. And I slammed him up against the board pretty hard. And Jonathan came and challenged me. And I fought him. I did okay. Stood up. And then later in the game, come out of the penalty box. And, um, I think it was the second period, maybe. Third period, and uh, we had an offside, and there was a faceoff, and Doug Jobs got thrown out, and O'Reilly was going in, and Bob Ganey went to go in. I said, no, let me take it. <laughs> you know, I should have let Bob take it. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, 
he let me take it, and I won the draw, and he shot me right afterwards, like, fuck you, yeah, little college punk. And he shot me. I turned around, shot him back, and dropped his glove. So, boom, dropped my Here I am facing off the guy I absolutely love. And I threw two right, boom, as quick as I could, and hit him. And he just shook it off. And he come back and hit me with a left on the button. That, I mean, right on the button. And the blood just poured out of my head. I couldn't see. I stayed on my feet. I couldn't really see. And I just kind of grabbed it and settled it down. And then... The referees got in, and um, D'Amico, I remember, I, I kind of turned my head into his um, sleeve, and I kind of wiped the blood from my nose on it. He said, what the fuck are you doing, Rook? You don't fucking wipe the blood on me. And I'm like, oh, insult to injury, right? I'm like, I just was trying to get, like, even wipe my eyes on his jersey so I could see. <clears throat> anyway, he yelled at me, and also went to penalty boxing. Uh, you know, I I sat in that penalty box and I my pride was wounded. Uh, certainly, my nose was. I didn't break it. I never broke my nose. But my nose doesn't break because it's like rubber. I don't know. There's I don't know if there's any bone there. But <laughs> um, I um, I am sitting there and I go, you know what? <clears throat> I, I don't have a problem with the fighting, but if I fight like that all the time, I'm going to be in trouble because. When you're confident, and my confidence, that you know, I, I was shook from that punch. And, I, you know, I thought after that, I'm thinking, you know, if I just fight crazy, because I'm not the biggest guy, um, you know, I was like 192 pounds, I think, at the time. And, you know, I was like 220, huge, big head. Anyway, I, I, I said, if I fight like that all the time, I'm going to be... I'm going to be dust. You know, I'm going to end up breaking my jaw. Something bad's going to happen. It's going to shake my confidence. The nose uh, bleeding like it was, uh, you know, I, I, it shook me up. And I said, listen, here's the deal, Chris. If you want to do this, you're going to have to do it and make yourself um, a fighter that fights the way he wants to fight. Fight his fight, not fight someone else's fight. And from that point forward, I started realizing, listen, if I'm going against these guys bigger than me, longer arms, a lot bigger than me, I have to take away their strength, what their big strength is, and then pick my way through the fight from there. And that's what I did. Like, if I was a lefty, I should have never let him throw the left. I said, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna go toe-to-toe. And, you know, that looks great. And, you know, good stuff. But, you know what, if you want to last in the league, I think, not the best way to go about it, especially for me. Uh, and I had to, I, I had to make some adjustments. I did. I, I started to study guys who was a righty, who was a lefty. Uh, I treated them all the same as far as toughness. I, I never said, "Oh, this guy's real tough. This guy's a win." No, I, I, I thought I'd be doing myself a disservice. I, I, I looked at it like every guy I end up fighting can beat me at any time, and I have to use my head um, to be able to. Listen, as far as your team goes, you you have to you have to stand up to the aggression of the other team. But when you do that, if you lose really bad, it can kind of shake your team too. As much as it shakes you, they're going, "Oh man, our tough guy got his ass kicked." You know, we're in for it now. 
<clears throat> but, you know, you have to, I always thought you had to fight where at least, you know, if you lost, you didn't look like you lost. You know, if someone got an edge on you, they just got a little edge on you. They didn't really mop you up. Uh, and I, I, I fought that way, and I lasted uh, 13 years in the NHL. And, you know, right to the end, I fought. I had my last year, I had 260 minutes in penalties. I was still doing what I came in the league doing, and and it got really hot at the end. But, again, you know, I, I remember P.J. Stark once asked me at an event when he was in Boston, he said, hey, well, how do you think I'm doing? I said, I think you're doing great. And P.J.'s not a big guy, but he's tough as nails, like tough bastard. And I, I love the kid. And I remember telling him, I said, listen, I give you all the credit in the world. Stand there and throw. You take on everybody. Uh, you got balls the size of watermelons. But here's the deal. I said, if you keep fighting like that, you're going to get hurt one of these days. And when you get hurt, it's not going to be good. Then you're not going to play. And he said, really? And I'm telling you. I said, just think you break your jaw, you break your nose really bad, something happens like that. And then next thing, you got a cage on in practice. You're staying around. They have you on a line. Uh, the next night you're playing, you go and play the game. Next thing you're out there playing, and they're looking, they're saying, oh, we can't afford to have this guy in the lineup. He's not going to fight. He's got a cage on. And I'm not saying he couldn't play hockey. But back then, that's how they treated him. So sure enough, he ends up in a fight, broke his, uh, up, I think, near his eye socket, his jaw, and they wire him up. They put the cage on him. Play one game, he's up in the, in the box. Michael Connell and the fan base, and Michael Connell's a fucking idiot. Um, you know, a guy who uh, I certainly, he's a Boston guy, but, well, from outside of Boston, but he's a guy that, um, you know, I always was okay with him, and then he had some things in the newspaper to say about me uh, and my family when I was playing with uh, the Bruins, and I never forgave him. Um, and he got traded to, I remember he got traded to Detroit, and I and give it to him and slash him and cross-check him. But anyway, Michael Connell, PJ uh, was big in Boston. Everybody loved him. And he ends up trading the kid. And like, I, and honestly, I, I think I think he traded him because the people loved him and everybody hated O'Connell. And <laughs> he goes to Philadelphia, he heals, and then he ends up playing for the Phantoms, and then it happens again. He got hit, he had an eye injury from a fight, and he ended up having to retire. And I will absolutely love the kid, but there's a kid was a perfect example is if he fought smarter, tied guys up, and picked his way through the fight, he could have lasted a whole lot longer. And that's what I had to do. And I know some people say, oh, no, I would grab one. Fucking right I would. You know, what what are you, an arrow? Could you stand there and and just swing wide open and end up getting knocked out? Have fun with that. Uh, The fact of the matter is I had to fight the, the, the... type of fight that would help not only me but my team and be able to do it in a way where uh, yeah, if I get the big edge on a guy, then I do. And if I don't get the edge, if I lose a fight, uh, at least I don't lose too bad. And and I carried that with me through my career and, and really lived by that. I didn't give a shit what anybody said. I never backed down from no one. I never would. And I, I just I did my job the best of my ability in, in the smartest way to keep me 
in the game as long as I was in the game. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, you know, it's, uh, I love the toe to toe fights. Don't get me wrong; they're awesome, and they're some of my favorite fights. And of course, the the crowd's favorite fights. But like you said, you're not going to have longevity doing that. And um, you know, you can definitely see it in your fights. Where and, and you yourself, man, it seems like you could also be a marathon fighter too. You could hang in there for a long time because you're not tiring yourself out. Half. Yep, you you would yeah, never tire yourself out half. throwing, and then you tie up and you kind of duck your head a little bit to duck the punches, uh, so you wouldn't get hit flush. And that's how you kind of lasted. Like you said, you were able to have a 13-year career. So it's it's a, it's a double-edged sword. You know, people may not like the fighting style. But at the same time, you look how long you were able to do it for. So, um, no, Who I doesn't like it? You know, if people don't like it, uh, well, I don't have a problem with that. I teach his own. Again, I have my reasons for doing it. You know, um, I, I knew how to fight. I knew how to fight. And like I said, you can stand and throw wide open. That looks great and everything. For someone like you, who loves that, <clears throat> loves watching those fights, and and I'm no, no disrespect to you, a lot of people love seeing that two guys kick the shit out of each other. Um, <clears throat> but I certainly didn't want to be one of those guys <laughs> that was getting the shit kicked out of me all the time because it, oh, <laughs> I'm gonna stand there and fire away, and it looks great for everybody else. <laughs> Fuck everybody else. I was doing it for my team, and I was doing it for me. You know, and um. And and as difficult it was, um, I just had a, a a way of being able to use my strength to my advantage and take away the strength of my opponent, so uh, I could get the edge. And I ended up throwing uppercuts for fucking anybody threw uppercuts. I don't give a fuck what anybody said. No one threw uppercuts until I started throwing. Uh, I never seen in all the fights over the years were growing up, Romans, flyers, all that shit. I never seen anybody throw up with that. And I had a good friend of mine, Tom Reardon, tell me once, Chris, you're fighting on it. And it, it, Tom's tough kid. And he, he, he's a black belt karate, all that. And he said, listen, all these fucking big fuckers you're fighting, he said, uh, stop throwing up a cut. And when you throw them, don't aim at the chin. Aim at the chest. Aim at the chin, you'll miss. Aim at the chest, you'll never miss. And I started doing that and when, I, when I need it. I didn't just go to it right away. As I pick my way through the fight and I need it, I use it. So, um, yeah. So, again, I, I didn't have a problem the way I fought. I wasn't in it uh, to win a contest. I was in it to win a fight. Exactly. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and, you know, moving on to the, you know, speaking of some of the guys you fought too, uh, moving down your fight card, I know a lot of people wanted me to ask you about this guy, and I think he's actually really underrated because, um, you know, a lot of that early 80s, a lot of people don't know too much about but uh, this was 81-82, and you fought him, and you fought him multiple times, actually. But uh, Larry Playfair, what was it like fighting Playfair? Oh, he was a tough bastard, big. I don't know, he was like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, really big kid on the ice, tough as nails. Uh, he had a great, he had a really good target, his nose. He had a huge nose, right? Big honker, <laughs> broke up about nine times. Um, you know, I think he hated fighting me. Because he's like, oh, my God, now I want to get He's got to come after me. Because I did. I always picked the biggest guy and said, if I'm going to fight a guy, I want to fight a big guy. I don't want to fight the small guys. And not I. Like Jonathan, when I say small, yeah, he was short. But, man, he was strong as an ox, tough, like, tough as a like, bull tough. And, you know, I just always went after the big guys. And I was one of those guys, Buffalo. I'd rather fight. 
any day, Larry over over say Lindy Rock or uh, these other guys uh, in Buffalo at the time, and he was the tough guy. And if I'm gonna give my team some confidence, give them some edge, and there were times he'd run around, I'd laugh him, but then there were times I said I got to wake things up, yeah, and and, and I got to go after the big man, and I did. And talk about a, a awesome guy. He just I got to meet him after. Uh, we retired and I met him and what a sweetheart of a guy. I just really, Larry Playfield, God, he, he, it fits his name, Playfield. But, uh, and he did play there. He was, uh, he was an honest, hardworking guy. Um, but boy, uh, yeah, I, I love fighting him. Yeah, you fought him a lot too. Yeah, I think, I want to say you guys had at least five yeah. or six rounds. So you guys definitely, uh, definitely met each other a lot. Um, and you know, another guy that you fought was, uh, you know, there's again, there's not a lot of footage of him, but of course, uh, him being a New York guy and him playing for New York, everybody loved him and everybody talks about him like he was uh, just an absolute killer. But again, there's not enough footage out there, so not many people know. But uh, you fought Nick Fatiu. What was it like fighting Nicky? Well, Nicky jumped off the bench once. Uh, out of the side of my eye, I saw him and he threw a punch to me and I grabbed him and I threw him back and then it broke up real quick. It was a nothing fight. And I think I fought him in Philly one time. I'm not sure. Um, but the, the the thing that happened, um, you know, I don't know if you look at my fight. I think I fought a whole lot more on the road than I did at home. I mean, I fought. Um, I, I think my record would be more on the road than at home. But uh, <clears throat> Nikki uh, got the tap from Carol Vadney that night, and I fucking hate coaches that do that. I hate coaches that send players, and I hate coaches who did that and never fucking fought themselves, and that pissed me off. And actually, I had Nick on my show two weeks ago, and he apologized to me for that. Uh, and it's not the first time he did, but he did it on the air. He said, I should have never done that. Uh, you know, not, I always respected you and have respect you. And that Vad gave me the tap and pushed me out there. And he said, I wish I never did that. And like me, honestly, <laughs> when I always – and this is a, a – a, a, um, a thing I lived with my whole life was in hockey. And I said to myself, if I ever have a fucking coach who tells me to go out and fight, I'm going to grab him right by the fucking tie and say, hey, fuck you. Go do it yourself. And and I, I, I pledged to myself I would never let that happen. And it never did. I never had a coach go tell me to fight. Now, I've had coaches who put me in situations... And I did it. I didn't need to be told. Don't ever fucking tell me. And um, Vad did that with Nicky, and he called him. And Nicky kind of never forgave himself for that. He, he was pissed that he allowed it to happen. So when I say that, and I mean that, I hate fucking coaches who do that. I had one coach who told me, <clears throat> and it was Jacques Lemaire, who I loved, who really took my game to the next level. And he told me, you fight too much. You don't have to fight as much as you do. He said, everybody's fucking worried about you. They're always looking. You got room on your eyes. Use it. You can play hockey. You always tell me that. And I'm all, you know, I was always like, you know, like I said in the documentary, I said, if anything, I'm kicking it up a notch. And I always told me that because when I grew up watching the Bruins, once a guy stopped fighting, I always hear, you know, you know, oh, you don't want to fight no more. Next, next thing he's fucking out the door, he's gone. So I'm like, man, I ain't listening to Doc. I know what got me there, but. And, and 
you know, I respected him for that. Because uh, he respected me. He knew how, and he wasn't a fighter, but he knew it was a fucking tough job. And he knew how important it was to have a guy like that on your team. So he showed me fucking so much respect by doing that. Man, I'd do anything for that guy. I run back into a blazing building for him um, because of that. And, you know, what eventually consumed him there in Montreal was um, Jean Perrault. When he was coaching, who, again, he wasn't a good coach. He was a fucking idiot. And the you know, guys really didn't have a whole lot of respect for him. And you don't always like your boss. Um, but I let it get to me. And one day he said to me, you know, he went around and fucking around the room and telling every guy, we want to play well. And he goes to every guy and gives them the business about what's wrong with their game. And it came to me. And he said, Chris Island, when's the last time you had a fight? And I said, hey, fuck you. What do you know about fighting? You know, I gave it right to him. I said, you're fucking telling me to fight? Is that what you're doing? And fuck everybody in the room, like, shit themselves. We're in hockey. So like, oh, my God. And, you know, we end up uh, a day later in Buffalo, and I end up getting uh, called down <clears throat> to see him. I end up getting traded. But, and that almost broke me getting traded, because I was fucking talk about loyalty. Uh, loyalty. And I never wanted to play for another fucking team than the Montreal Canadiens, and I ended up getting traded. I was devastated. And when I say it almost broke me, it almost did break me. But I didn't let it. And I remember waking up the next day, I'm in New York, and I can't fucking believe it. I can't believe it. I cannot fucking believe it. And that fucking idiot gets fired at the end of the season. You know, he should have fucking fired Serge to fire him right then. Or he said, fuck you, I ain't trading him. And then ride it out because Pat Burns was in the minors. He was the next coach coming in line. And fucking Burns, I, Burns was another guy I went to a fucking burning building for. And, you know, I, I just, you know, I stayed true to myself. And I can look myself in the mirror today and say I'm okay with it because I did stay true to myself. And I said, I, you know, I'm never going to let anybody fucking tell me to go fight. I'm never going to let anybody make the imprint that I should go fight. Now, listen, I knew that was a big part of my job, and I knew I was put in situations to fight, but no one ever said, hey, you go do this. You go get that guy. Uh, fucking settle this team down. That never happened. But in the same respect, that, that never happened. I also had coaches that, you know, at home, they took me out of certain situations. You know, I'd be playing against Boston. I'm out in the ice and put, to put fucking two idiots out there against me. And... Okay, and then fuck coach calls and make the line change. So we'll put our score on or we'll put another line out because I know Chris doesn't need to fight right now. And I was the type of guy that, you're going to challenge me? I don't give a fuck. You know how people say, oh, he shouldn't have fought there. You know, it gave the other team life. Fuck you. Fucking fight when you have to fight. And if you're called on, uh, you know, if you're going to fucking head for the hills, you head for the hills. I ain't heading for the fucking hills. I'm fighting. And I never looked at it like that. Oh, shit. No, there were times we were down and getting our ass I had to change the tempo of the game. I thought I had to do something, and I did. I did. And then there were times we were, you know, winning games comfortably, up 4-2 or 4-1, and fuck, if I had to fight, I'm fighting. Don't fucking tell me what to do it or not to do it. Just let me do my job. I know what I'm doing. Don't fucking tell me. And one time in my career, and it cost me a big time. But like I said, I'm comfortable with that today. Um, I stayed true to myself, 
and um, I'm fine with it. Yeah, exactly. You know, you uh, like you said, you stay true to yourself, and you shouldn't. Uh, I, I don't. I don't like it. I personally, when coaches will do that to a uh, to a player, because like you said, you know, some of the coaches who will do that to guys have never been in a fight themselves, or maybe one or two, and so they don't know what it's like. And so, you, who are you to sit there and tell tell so and so, hey, go go get number you know twenty four or whatever? Um, you know, it's it's stupid to do that to a guy when you you yourself have never been in the shoes. So, uh, you know, a lot of props yeah. to you. And that was actually one of my, me and my buddy, when I sat down and showed him your documentary, he was trying to get into hockey and he laughed his ass off at that part when he was like, he was like, did, did Chris really just say that to the coach? And I was like, I, I was like, you know, he did. <laughs> He's like, yeah. um, here's the way you just tell him, you know, yeah, go fuck bonus. yourself. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. He's right. You know, I remember well, what happened there was, I was in Boston and, you know, my second year there, and bonus took over. And, you know, they were telling them what to do. And fuck, uh, in the beginning of the season, I was on the B squad. They got an A squad and the B squad. Most of the B guys were going to Providence. And they were kind of rubbing my nose and shit, you know, like, fuck you. And, you know, I've been around the league fucking 12 years now. You're going to treat me like this? You don't fucking treat Bork or Neely like that. So they were giving me the fucking business. And, that first year, like the Bruins always started season out uh, on long road trip out west, and you know I I always played in the road. Didn't play in L.A. Didn't play in Vancouver. Didn't play in Calgary. Didn't play. I'm like, well, man. So we go to Chicago Stadium, Los Angeles, and uh, Bias was playing, Linden, and a kid named Alan. Um, Alan, what's the fucking name? Anyway, Alan Stewart. Al Stewart. And it's a kid. Anyway, they were playing the whole road trip, and I was fucking practicing, skating my balls off, riding the bike, staying in shape. I remember I was in Chicago Stadium. And I thought I, I went in the warm-up. I, I mean, my, I might be playing. I didn't. So I come down afterwards, and I get on the bike, and I'm pedaling and fucking sweating my bag off, and the coach comes by, and he goes, I'm really proud, to, uh, proud of you the way you're dealing with this. And they're dealing with what? You're dealing with you guys fucking shit. No, I mean, I'm thinking to myself, I didn't say anything. I just kept riding the bike, ignoring them. Didn't say a fucking word. And then uh, we fly home the next day. I think Stuart had a fight. LB had a fight. And um, we fly home to Boston the next day and had a day off. And then we come to practice the next day. And Stuart's not there. Stewart got in his car, packed it up, all his shit, and drove home to fucking wherever he lived in, I think, Saskatchewan somewhere, and quit hockey. Sick of fighting, sick of all the bullshit, and he left. Lyndon Bias, that day in practice, broke his ankle. <laughs> fucking off he goes, off the hospital. So, boom, the next day, uh, we're in the morning state, and uh, bonus comes up to me. In the line. Never said a fucking word. The only thing he ever said the whole time was that night in the bike. Five games on the road. Missed every one. I didn't play. The only time he said something to me was on the bike. My I'm really proud of the way you're doing with it. So, uh, <clears throat> he comes up to me after practice and I'm sitting there taking my shit off and he goes, so you ready to go tonight? You got to, um, I'm going to put you in the lineup. <laughs> Am I ready to go tonight? I said, Rick, Go fuck yourself. And he was like, what? And they go fuck yourself. You think you want me to go through a fucking wall for you now? Because Byers breaks his ankle and the other kid fucking retired. Now you fucking need me? Fuck you. That was it. And I didn't play. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
you know, we didn't fucking, I wasn't in the lineup. And, you know, that went on for about five days. I missed two more games. And then somebody, uh, Joe Fitzgerald, wrote an article in the Boston Herald saying, Mike Milbury, general manager, assistant general manager, uh, should do something about this. Come on, either play him or, you know, move, you know, they, they got to settle this beef. So I had to sit down with the coach and Milbury and, Mike, I sat down and he said, "Not nah, you can't tell a coach to go fucking south. And I said, well, here's the deal. I did, okay? And the reason why I did is because you fucking shit on me from the get-go, okay? You put me on the beach squad. You don't fucking play me on the road. You play the other two guys. And then when they're out of the fucking picture, you're going to fucking crawl up my back now and say, hey, we need you, Chris. I said, fuck you. That's so, so much fucking disrespect. And I said, uh, you know, you look at the, the number of years, and yeah, what I've done in these 12 years of hockey, I said, I, I, I've done. I said, but you would never fucking do that to Ray Bork or Cam Neely, shit on that. Now, I, am I a Hall of Famer? No, I'm not. But I've been around the fucking league as long as I'm. And, you know, if you're going to disrespect me, then fuck, you think I'm going to fucking respect you? Well, yeah, I get it, but you got to, Chris, do you want to play or not? I said, yeah, I want to play, but I don't want to be fucking shit on and fucking disrespected. Play me? Or if you fucking you can't play me, then fucking get rid of me. So I, then I played. I played the next game I played. We played against uh, New Jersey Devils at home. Rick Bonus played me. I didn't want to play anymore. He overplayed me. He was going to bust my balls now. He put me, double shifted me. I was fucking dying at the end of the game. <laughs> I scored two goals. I scored two fucking goals that game. I was howling. I'm going to myself back and cocksucks, I got you. But he got me too. Like, I I just, I was so, honestly, third period, I'm going, fucking, stop being a prick, I'm saying to myself. And just fucking play me a regular shift, not fucking, he double shifted me the whole game. I was fucking dead at the end. <laughs> He's like, oh, you want to play? I'll fucking play you. Yeah, I'll uh, show you. Little... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, but man. I'm okay. I'm okay with that. Yeah, hey, you, you potted two fucking goals, so it worked out for you. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, okay. You know, one more guy I want to ask you about, and then we'll move on to a couple brawls here. Um, and another guy that he's again severely underrated, and a lot of people have him as like the heavyweight champ before Probert came along. But uh, Ben Wilson, what was it like fighting him? I, I, again, a lot of people I think don't realize how tough Ben Wilson actually was. All right, really tough. He's crazy too. But um, yeah, he uh, was real tough. And you know, I just um, I, I remember my first fight with him. I really give it to him in Philly. I mean, Mark Napier says it in the. Uh, in the uh, <clears throat> documentary, how I saved his life. <laughs> but I can't. Uh, I give it to him the first fight. Then I fought him again, I think, in Chicago, where I did okay. I mean, nothing crazy, but uh, yeah, it was okay. You know, just another fight. And um, like I said, I treat them all the same. Just, you know, all them guys that do that job are really tough. And, Ben Wilson was not just tough. He had that craziness in him, too, in his eyes. So, um, yeah, I did fine against him. Uh, I'm still here. I'm talking to you. Yeah, <laughs> you live to tell about it. <laughs> um, so, you know, one of the brawls i got to go over, of course, and we mentioned it in the intro, was uh, you had a pane of glass named after you at the Boston Gardens. 
So how did that brawl kind yeah. of start? And what did you? Uh, how did you get that claim to fame over there? Well, that all happened. Uh, uh, Jay Miller was on Chelios, and I tried to get at him. Then I threw a punch up with Tellier. He almost took his head off. I just grazed his jaw. And then things went crazy, and I was going off the ice. And uh, as I was going off, and I, whenever I get, went off the ice there, people threw pizza, beer, everything on me. And I was coming off the ice, I was getting ready for it. And as I was putting my head down, I stepped up, and I was putting my head down to duck some shit. I saw the corner of my eye, Winston stood up, and I thought he was going to throw a shot or do something. So I, I just threw a punch at him. And then all hell broke loose. And we ended up fighting in the hall. And he was trying to scratch me. I had him down. He was trying to scratch my eyes. And then just things went crazy. And then uh, they ended up, I guess, uh, after that, I don't know if it was much, all complained or probably stood complained and said, listen, guys go through there all the time. they got to put some distance between him, uh, the player, and, and the bench. You got to do something. So they put the glass, the nylon glass. Yeah, same to thing. <laughs> the, the nylon Boston. glass. <laughs> I think it's funny, you know. You growing up a Boston fan, and there you are. You uh, you made your mark in Boston Garden for the uh, for the Canadians. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, another brawl I got to ask you about, and then we'll go on to some fan questions, and then we'll get it off. Uh, or we'll get off there because I know you you got some stuff to do. Um, but the uh, the pregame brawl where you you're fighting Dave Brown and warm ups. What was that like, man? Well, it was just, it was really difficult um, from um, the uh, uh, standpoint that um, he had no jersey on. And, you know, you know the meal and course, and we're doing this thing between uh, after the warm-up, putting the puck in the empty net. There was superstition on their part, obviously. And they kept doing it, and Philly got on to it, and Mike Keenan had his guys wait, and, and they went out. And I was in the locker room. I had my skates weren't tied up and I'm sitting there and next thing I, the usher come running and something going on they're going it's going to be a fight and I laced up real quick and ran get out there and next thing you know you know guys are kind of looking around everybody's starting to come out and then here comes Brown with this no shirt and I'm like oh shit and um, you know pushing shot and I knew I said if I'm fighting someone I'm fighting him I'm not fighting uh, one of the other guys. I'm taking the biggest guy, and that's who I ended up with. And it was difficult, you know. He had no, I had no leverage to grab it onto anything, and I could only hold the suspenders. Uh, and I, we fought. I was put one of the probably longer fights in NHL history, honestly. Um, it must have went on for like 12 minutes, and I've talked to Brownie about it. And I was actually part of a thing in Philly last year. Last year. They had a thing called Fight Night, and we got up and talked about that. But, um, yeah, uh, I wish I thought about coming out with no jersey on. But, <laughs> you know, I was able to um, – I did well in that fight. I hit him. Uh, he hit me. Uh, I remember at one point he was dead tired. We are both tired. And I remember I had my head, like, in his, under his chin near his chest, and I had my head turned to the side. And I was kind of holding there, and he was holding on to me. We're both because we're both dead tired. And then he whispers down, well, you know, whisper, but he said, "Hey, have you had enough?" And I, I said, "No." And as I said, "No," I fucking hauled off and hit him again. Oh wait, we won again. <laughs> and 
I, I, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, he's asking me, have you had enough? I'm not going to say, fuck it. oh, yeah, I had enough, Dave. We're, we're done now. Okay, buddy. And I just said, fuck it. If I'm going down, I'm going down swinging. And I, we fought again. I went down, I got up, uh, you know, he went down, we both got up. Uh, yeah, it was fucking crazy. And, you know, um, <laughs> that was the uh, brawl to end all brawls, right? Never, that was the last one ever. Yeah, that was the last, uh, last like, I got, well, was, the benches didn't really clear. It was more so the, the locker rooms cleared for that one because everybody's coming back out out of the yeah. ice. But, um, <laughs> absolutely. I remember you telling me that was probably one of the most tired games you ever played because you just had that, in, you know, that 12-minute yeah, fight with I Brownie. <laughs> and you still had to play. Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely. had to play. He never fucking got a shift. I couldn't even, you know, my, I remember how tight my neck was. Uh, my arms were, like, my arms just was so I was arm weary. I couldn't fucking carry my stick. My stick was heavy, for Christ's sake. And you know, uh, you know, he sat on the bench and I was playing a regular shift. It just uh, I was gassed that game. But <laughs> Well here we go, man. We'll get to some fan questions here, and then I'll let you get on your way. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time again, Chris. You know, can't thank you enough. Um, just got two for you. And uh, uh, Craig Bishop asks, uh, basically, what was it like kind of fighting the Montreal Canadiens when you became a Boston Bruin? Because he knows you grew up loving Boston, and you you play for the Canadiens, and then you're on Boston yeah. now. So what was that like for you, man? Was it Was it difficult to fight, I guess, your former team? Well, it was difficult playing against them. Because I, you know, it was hard for me. But um, I, I don't know if I fought anybody. Maybe did I fight Odie once? Maybe I don't know. I don't know if I fought anybody. Uh, again, I didn't. Yeah, no, I don't think I fought anybody uh, playing against my former team. Um, to be honest with you. Oh well, um, there you go. I'm sure. I'm sure it, it could be somewhere. I th- might have fought Odie once. I think, but it was, I don't think it was, I think it was a nothing fight. I don't know. I'm not even sure. But uh, it was just hard to play against them, I can tell you that. It's just, I just never, I loved the organization. I never wanted to leave. And it was difficult for me. Like I said, I told you, it almost broke me. It didn't. But, uh, you know, it's something that uh, certainly uh, lingered on uh, while I was still in the NHL. So, yeah. Right, yeah, it's got to be hard. Well, it's like I said, it's funny because you grew up loving Boston, and then you end up going to their biggest rival. And I love in the documentary, you know, your your mother's even like, uh, you, you get to Boston, and she's like, it was it was kind of hard to cheer for him because uh, she despised the Bruins at that point from yeah, all your years in Montreal. <laughs> yeah, I hated the Bruins. That's all that stuff. So, yeah, I don't blame them. You know, <laughs> when you get you hear the whole building saying nylon sucks, you know. Uh, your family certainly um, wants to be there for you and stick up for you. I felt bad for them. I didn't, I didn't care if they, you know, scream nylon sucks to me. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. Um, well, man, one last question for you, Chris, and we'll get you on your way here. And this is from RJ, and he just wants to know, what's your take on the dynamic of fighting being a part of the game of hockey and kind of where it is today? Um, you know, it, it's gone. It's gone from hockey. It's not the same. It's just you know, I don't have a problem seeing two guys drop their gloves and go at it. I'm glad they don't haven't taken it out in that sense because no matter what, uh, you know, even if they're not fighters, there's times guys get so pissed at each other 
or if someone does something from someone and they're like, I've had it. I'm going to drop my gloves and we're going to settle it. I don't have a problem with that. I think as far as having a guy sit in the bench and go out and play two shifts a period or two shifts a game, I'm sorry, um, and he goes out to fight, I, I, I'm glad that's gone. I think it was, it was you know, listen, it gave a lot of guys the opportunities that normally wouldn't have had a chance to play in the NHL, and that's cool. I got my chance being a fighter. But I know I could play hockey, too, and I became a player. And I'm not throwing those guys under the bus. I just think it was, um, you know, you look at some of the, the, the teams that had guys that weren't the best players, but, man, they scared the shit out of them. <laughs> and it was such a such a um, tactic. They used it as a tactic to beat other teams, to spook them out of the building. They had enough good players to win hockey games, but then they had those guys that if you touch the puck, I'm going to kill you. And, <laughs> you know. I'm just glad that's gone. And you can play good, tough, hard hockey without having to fight all the time. Uh, I truly believe that. And if you want to drop them, um, fine. I love that. I love to see two guys square off. But, you know, the brawls and all that, if you've never been in one and you've seen them, they're scary, um, they're stupid. Honestly, I, I look how stupid. Sometimes I look at that stuff and I'm going, what the hell are you thinking, you know? Like, it's weird when I look back on it. And I'm not getting soft in my old age. It's just, you know, it's, things have changed. And, you know, I, I don't mind seeing, like I said, I don't mind the odd fight here and there. But all the crazy shit that used to happen around the game, I'm kind of glad it's gone. And I, I just don't like some of the stuff that goes on today. Um It'd be nice if everybody, every team could have one of those guys that, um, you know, keep you on your toes. Like a Matt Martin, who, you know, he's out there, plays hard. You know, he's not an idiot. He'll stick up for his teammates, plays hard. Ryan Reed, you know, I I love seeing him. The kid down there, who's the kid in Tampa there? Maroon. You know, those guys, I I like that they're, they're in the game. And Tom Wilson. Uh, can certainly play hockey, but is a spook, man. He'll spook people when he's on the ice. I like that. I don't have a problem with it. I wish every team could have one. Montreal certainly could use one. they got the smallest one of the smallest teams in the league, and boy, um, they can get pushed around some nights and spooked some nights. So, yeah, it's changed. Um, I don't miss it all that much, to be honest with you, the watching it. Some, some nights I see it, and I'm like, I see a couple guys. Like, I was there night, Judge Powell, right below me, fighting uh, Colton Moore, the least in the Habs. And I was sitting right above it in the press box. And I heard uh, George, when he hit the ice, his face hit the ice. I heard it. And I was sick. Honestly, I was sick to my stomach. It just, you know, I felt so bad for him. And, and then you see Colton Moore, like, waving. Come on, come and help him, help him. Here he is trying to mess the guy up, and then the guy gets hurt, and he's calling for the medic to come, you know? Tell him, help him, you know? Like, yeah, it turned my stomach to see that happen on, um, you know? A black guy, maybe a broken nose, lose a tooth, oh, well. But, man, um, something like that, uh, you look at it and say, why, you know? So, those things can happen, and they're not, uh, they're not fun 
when they happen to someone else, and they're not fun. <laughs> they're really not fun when they happen to you. <laughs> right exactly and yeah like you say i don't you know i i love fighting in hockey obviously it's you know it's the whole main the main idea of the podcast here um but like you said you know i don't need to see a line brawl oh yeah well i don't need to see a line brawl every game to enjoy a hockey game it's like good hard-nosed hockey you know and yeah line brawls can get out of hand sometimes and that's like uh well there's a reason the whole uh you know the battle of alberta this year was one of the most talked about games and i think you know having one of those a year is probably good for the game there's a reason that has like four million views on uh whatever i think it was Sportsnet. um but do i need to see that every game no not at all but just some good hard-nosed hockey yeah and that rivalry stuff man there's nothing better than that like seeing those rivalry games like kachuk and cassie and all that stuff went on there i love that too you kidding me and i watch i was i had a front row seat like everybody else wanted a front row seat but um you know the league certainly the league doesn't want that anymore you know they want it pg they don't want to see anybody get hurt you know, but they don't want the, the red line in there, and they got it wide open. They love to promote the, the violence in hockey, and they still promote it with the body check and all that stuff. There's some cheap stuff that goes on still in the game, the headshots, stuff like that. But um, what? If there were fighters on every team, would those things still happen? Who knows? Chances are maybe not, but, um, you know, uh, that ship has sailed. And, yeah, it's not coming back. No, it isn't. And people will think. Like people, a, some people like say, the "Oh, Titanic, it's, right? yeah, exactly." It's the Titanic, it sailed, man. It ain't coming back. <laughs> exactly. <Same old> place. <laughs> yeah, people will say, you know, oh, am I, it's going to make a comeback. No, it's not. You can't put the toothpaste back in Never. the tube. Not coming back. Yeah. Um, well, man, I, you know, Chris, I can't thank you enough for coming on to the show and uh, you know taking the time to sit down with me on a Saturday morning and get a couple fight stories in and uh, some awesome stories about your career. I, I, you know, thank you so much for coming on. Alex, anytime. You're a good man. I appreciate it. I love that you love that part of the game. I love that you love the game of hockey. Uh, you love the history of that part of the game. So uh, good on you. You're a good man. And. Uh, We'll uh, talk down the road. Maybe I'm going to have to have you on my show up here one day to talk about it, the podcast, if you want. That'd be pretty cool. Anytime, just let me know. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll we'll do that for sure. I'll be in touch, and we'll uh, uh, we'll set something up. All right, bud? Perfect. Thank you so much, Chris. You have yourself a good day, man. You too. All right. You got